Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for tuning in today. We have another great podcast for you today. Uh, my guest is poultry veterinarian and epidemiologist Dr. Maurice Pateski from UC Davis, and he's going to be teaching us today all about egg abnormalities. Now, I've got a few questions I had sent over to him. Maybe we can fit those in today, uh, but it's going to be a tremendous show. We ask you to go ahead and get your pen and paper ready so you can take lots of notes, but if you happen to tune in late or uh, miss something, this show will be available in its entirety uh, in podcast form probably 10 or 15 minutes after the live show is completed. And then, of course, it will be distributed to all kinds uh, of podcast-carrying websites, uh, including uh, the new one that we've got now, uh, really the poultry education hub of the globe, of course, the poultry site. We're very, very proud to be um, over there uh, and, and partnering with them on their great educational site as well. So if you miss anything, don't worry about it. You can always go back and listen to the full broadcast in podcast form. So without further delay, let's get over to our switchboard and we will bring on our good friend, uh, Dr. Maurice Pateski. First thing, I don't want, I don't want to go down this, uh, this path too long into it because sometimes we get off on little tangents uh, when we have our guests on, and, and I really want to concentrate on egg abnormalities, but I did receive an update today uh, that the state vet out in California, uh, Dr. Annette Jones, um, she had, uh, I guess, released a statement uh, either early this morning or yesterday that there hasn't been any new um, – uh, confirmations of the uh, virulent Newcastle disease out in California. I think it's been at least a week since they had one, if, if I remember the email correctly that I received. And you're out there in California, Dr. Pateski, and you may have received that as well from, uh, from the state vet, but it, it looks like maybe um, and I forget exactly what the – if you'll give me a second, I'll let everybody know who's listening since they may, may have, actually have it right here. So um, – Virulent Newcastle disease in California, 
at a standstill. Um, and then uh, as uh, it goes into detail about, let me make sure I can confirm this for our listeners, uh, the United States Department of Agriculture Plant and Health uh, Inspection Service did not confirm any new premises as positive for uh, virulent Newcastle disease during the week of June 7th through the 13th. Upon further inspection, <coughs> it appears the last new positive premise was identified on June and of course it stops and I've got to register in to get to get to the site but I was reading it earlier today so um, you know we, we don't want to be uh, overly confident I, I posted this on my Facebook page and then I posted doc that you know we still need to be very vigilant with our biosecurity and and again not moving birds and, and all the things that go along with with the biosecurity but uh, what, what kind of updates have you received about the uh, um, the Newcastle outbreak, the ongoing one that's out there in California. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me again, Andy. Good to be here. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, that's 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 uh, obviously a good step in the a step in the right direction. I saw the same email. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think um, that's that's a very good. I would kind of characterize it as a baby step um, mm-hmm. until we we get a little further along. But I think. You know, just to kind of reiterate, in order to to stop an outbreak of disease, this is this is almost like a disease control 101. So all the things that that are occurring, uh, quarantine. So basically, not um, allowing um, birds to move in and out um, of an infected zone, an infected area in this place. Basically, all of Los Angeles County and and chunks of neighboring counties, including uh, Riverside and San Bernardino County. Um, encouraging vaccination to, to reduce the amount of virus that's in the environment, um, and then when necessary, uh, euthanasia of high-risk um, poultry populations. That that's the way that we control disease. Um, so I'm I'm glad all those things are working. The other thing I think that's probably working is starting to get hot and dry down there, um, and the virus um, doesn't survive under those kind of conditions very well. So. I think all those things in combination are helping. Um, you know, I've talked to different people on different um, social media platforms, and it's great to see people that are kind of taking the initiative and communicating to um, you know all the different people in their social networks about um, you know activities that we want to reduce and 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 uh, and encourage people to do the right thing. So. Um, we can we can end the outbreak sooner than later but uh it's a great you know it's that's a that's that's definitely a, a step in the right direction and um i'm really encouraged by by that news yeah that that was really great news i was like and i, and I told my followers and fans i'm like this doesn't mean we can relax one bit uh, it is great news <laughs> like you said a step in the right direction but we still have to again do what we can to try to eradicate this and and, and what something everybody can do out there is uh keep and continue to practice good biosecurity and we've had shows upon shows about that so uh thanks for elaborating on that a little bit and uh hopefully it will disappear and not rear its ugly head for many 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 years to come <laughs> yeah one one quick thing i was going to mention is you know that the day after the outbreak is over you know the, the real important thing and, and the thing that i'm you know that 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 i'm concerned about is that the conditions that created this outbreak will be um will be ripe again. Um, we have a lot of commercial poultry that are next door to backyard poultry, which are also next door to, to fighting birds. And, and all those those interactions, you know, Southern California has got a, a, a geography and a, um, 
um, behaviors and all these proximity issues um, that, that make it somewhat unique and a high risk for, for uh, these types of diseases to, to, to come in and establish themselves and then move into different populations. So um, I think there's going to be some, I think, to, to some of the, a lot of people's credit, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of interest in how do we, how do we think long-term about how to prevent this disease from coming back again? Uh, what do we do in schools? Um, what do we do with the community? How do we build trust with folks? Because, um, you know, that the, the biggest challenge is, is really establishing relationships with people to where they have confidence and trust in you. And, and that's a hard thing to do when the first conversation you're having with someone is that you, you, you need to consider euthanizing their birds. So I'm hoping that we have a, a long-term strategy that kind of establishes, you know, good uh, social connectivity and trust and confidence in, in all the different people that are, that are involved with um, poultry at every single level. That, that was a huge issue. We, we all saw it where you're right. People were like, I, I don't understand why, while, you know, what killing my quote unquote healthy birds is going to do to help this. And uh, kudos to you for that amazing article in the summer issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine talking all about the disease. And then, of course, kudos to uh, Dr. McRae about hers kind of explaining why they're doing what they are doing, including the term that many people had never heard of um, was the, the, the stamping out and, and, and why it's important uh, to try to eradicate the disease with that being one of the um, items that, that, that's used uh, in, in that particular area that's deemed, uh, I guess, a hot zone or a kill zone or whatever, how they were categorizing it, and those birds would, would be um, depopulated. So that, that, was, that was that was a huge one, and it was a matter of just, I think they just didn't understand. So um, <clears throat> that was one, one reason why we wanted to get those articles in, in the magazine and get those out as fast as we could. So, And we heard back from a lot of folks that, thank, thanks so much, that just really explained uh, to, to me as a backyard bird or just whatever, why you know it, I, I learned so much more about why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, and the, the last thing I want to say, because I know you want to get on to the to the sure. subject uh, of the day, but the, the last thing I want to say, and and uh, I, you know, my job is an extension. My job is to is uh-huh. to chat with people um, who have poultry at any level. So if people have questions, I'm a scientist. I'm not. Um, from the state, I'm not from the federal government. Um, I'm a veterinarian and epidemiologist, and I focus on, on happen to focus on poultry diseases. So I'm always willing to, to chat with people and uh, to talk about their concerns um, and issues they may or may not have. And um, you know, two reasonable people can can certainly have a conversation with different opinions. And, and I and I feel like I've been able to have that with a lot of people. Um, but if people do have questions. Um, you know that's 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 my job at the end of the day to answer those questions as best I can, um, or to point them in the direction of, of people that can better answer those questions, and uh, hope people take me up on that with uh, emails and and, and uh, phone conversations and things like that. And a lot of times it is it's just explaining things in layman's terms so you can understand it better. So um, and, and we saw that during this outbreak with with a lot of folks. So uh, that's great. I'm glad you're out there and can can give us a give us some uh, current information about the outbreak and hopefully it is on the decline and will uh, um, and disappear that's that's what we all hope for 
Um, yep. Today's topic, um, egg abnormalities, and um, I assume there's probably quite a few of these, some more common than others that can affect everybody from the um, urban backyard flock with six hens all the way up to the commercial folks. And I'm sure that, again, the backyard flocks uh, probably see a lot of the same issues that the uh, commercial flocks uh, see as well, just maybe not as, as a high number. So let's talk about some of the uh, egg abnormal or abnormalities that we might actually see with uh, keeping some hens. Yeah, well, um, thanks again for having me, and uh, this is always an interesting um, topic that can kind of go off in a, a bunch of different directions, <laughs> so um, <laughs> I don't want to go in the direction of talking about washing eggs, because I think as I've told oh, no, you before, no, no. there's there are three things we don't talk about in polite company, politics, religion, and whether or not we should wash our eggs or not, so hopefully <laughs> yep. we won't um, divert in that direction too much, but I, I know people get emotional about that um, right. for some reason. Um, anyway, so I wanted to start off with one of my favorite quotes. So people always say, you know, eyes are the windows to the soul. Um, but for chickens, you know, the uh, the way the eggs look and feel are really the window to, you know, how the birds, what their overall health is. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I didn't say that as eloquently as eyes are windows to the souls. But um, eggs are great ways of um, kind of figuring out how our birds overall health is and uh if we have by you know the majority if all of our our eggs are coming out clean and the shells are strong um and the eggs themselves are of good quality and we're not seeing uh, blood in the yolks um and the eggs feel nice and smooth and they're not cracking those are all really good signs that the perfect indication that our birds are perfectly healthy, obviously not, um, but it gives us a good indication if our, if our birds are laying good, strong eggs, um, that gives us a good indication about their health status in general. Uh, if we see defects like dirty shells or eggs that are you know, commonly cracking or thin-shelled or they're rough, or when we crack open the egg, we're starting to see all kinds of weird abnormalities that... Um, you know, I think there's uh, all kinds of questions about uh, blood spots and meat spots, um, all, all those type of things, whether we see dirt on the egg even or manure on the egg, those are all signs that um, there's something going on, either in husbandry or in the health um, of the birds themselves. So um, this is where I'm going to kind of, uh, again, like as an epidemiologist, I'm always keen on people collecting data. So um, this is where it's a great opportunity for people to say, well, I had this many eggs uh, this week. I had this many eggs last week. This many of them were floor eggs. That's just a simple way of saying this. This is how many were not in the nest box. This is how many were cracked. This is how many have weird pigmentation. So if you keep that type of data, then when something abnormal happens, you'll, you'll really know that it's truly abnormal um, and not just a kind of anecdotal observation. So I really encourage people, whether it's a piece of paper, whether it's a spreadsheet or, or you know, some kind of app that uh, there's some floating around there that are pretty decent um, to collect that data. Um, it's a great opportunity to kind of keep track of where you are. And when you get dips in production um, or you get abnormalities, you get more dirty shells than you think you've had in the past, then you can kind of measure that and, and, and kind of go from there. So I really encourage people to do that. I know that's, you know, another thing to do, but um, it's a really useful thing um, with respect to uh, understanding the overall health of our flock um, moving forward. 
So mm-hmm. before we talk about some abnormalities, I just want to very, very briefly just talk about um, how an egg is produced and, and laid, because I think sometimes we don't uh, kind of a first principles type thing. Um, so just one little kind of interesting tidbit of trivia. I think most people know that most birds, not all of them, this is biology, so there's very rarely that, that there's, there's always an exception, but most birds only have one ovary, uh, including chickens, and it's the left ovary. So the right ovary does not develop once a chick is born, uh, but that left ovary is uh, where the uh, is, is develops into, a, into an ovary, and this is where literally thousands of ovum or mature female reproductive cells um, that basically become the yolk in a non-fertilized egg. Um, those that, 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 uh, that's in the, the egg yolk, for example, um, that's where um, that um, kind of the initial part of the egg is formed. Um, and one of those ovum um, will then um, travel down into, into what's called the oviduct, which is just a long elastic tube. Um, and it's important to remember that remember there were thousands of these ova, and only one of them basically will kind of uh, pinch off from the ovary, and then um, will go into this oviduct, and then it kind of gets uh, kind of pushed down, um, and uh, the albumen, the egg white, gets laid onto it, and then uh, among other things, um, the shell is also laid on there. Um, that process takes, depending on the species, uh, takes about 24 hours. So for chickens, which is probably what most of the listeners have, um, that takes about 24, 25, 26 hours. Um, but in some uh, avian species, apparently, it can take much longer, even even up to a week, which I thought was very interesting, just in um, some of the reading I was doing. Um, so I think it's important to kind of understand that because if you understand just that basic biology of you've got an ovary, that ovary is where the ovum comes from, and then it goes down this long tube, and then in that tube you're laying on what's on the outside of the yolk, which is the albumen or the egg white, um, and then it uh, enters um, an area called um, the isthmus, um, and eventually you have all this calcium uh, carbonate, uh, or ca- basically calcium and magnesium and phosphate, which basically makes our shell. So I wanted to point out, like, when you think about, okay, what are some of the things that we commonly see, just very generic problems that we see in eggs? So sometimes you see um, what are called meat spots, um, and those meat spots, there's nothing inherently wrong aside from just the aesthetics of it, um, and those meat, so- those meat spots are basically just parts of the ovary that have come with that ovum um, and are part of now, you know, the the table egg that eventually you're going to um, consume or or collect from your bird. Um, So in the commercial industry, they're very good using all different types of automated cameras and um, different types of detection systems, um, basically candling. They're really good at spotting those things and removing them from the supply because, uh, most consumers don't want those type of things, but we do see those, um, those, those. For example, those meat spots that'll happen um, in older birds um, as they kind of are um, less successful at making um, nice, clean eggs. But there's no foodborne issue there, so you can still eat that egg. Um, and then you can also get some blood in that in that yolk area, that yolk sac area, um, and that's just a little blood vessel that's basically breaking again. Um, at that ovary um, that's associated with that ovum. 
The other thing that's associated with that ovum, just for people that are interested in breeding and not just collecting eggs, is what's called the blastodisc. Um, so that's a fancy word for this kind of white nubbin, basically, on the yolk itself. And um, that blastodisc is where the sperm, um, if um, the hen was bred, was where the sperm uh, would fertilize the egg, and then you would have a developing um, embryo there. Um, but for folks that are, you know, obviously only interested in um, egg production, you can see that blaster disc, but, but it hasn't developed, obviously, because um, that, um, that bird was not, or that ovum was not fertilized. Um, so we talked about those meat spots, and we talked about that, that blood. Um, and um, the other thing is you can um, also get, and I've, I've noticed this, people have an amazingly wide variety of different breeds of chickens that they have. Um, and I think we all know that the, the breed of the chicken, um, the, the color of the ears is what basically selects for the color of the eggs. But you can get, even from the same bird, you can get kind of a wide variety of colors. So this is where things start getting interesting because the pigment um, is laid down in that shell gland um, that's part of that long, narrow tube um, in between the ovary and the cloaca. And that pigment is um, not always working correctly. And one of the reasons that um, the, you have these different color eggs coming out of, like, like for example, if you have a brown-eared hen, that will produce typically brown eggs. But every once in a while, you get a white egg from a, a brown-eared hen. Um, and I've had several people call me on those type of things. And this is where you start getting all kinds of interesting things. Is it, is it age? Is it related to disease sometimes? And um, the reality is, is that there are no... Um, you can't tell from the egg itself, even if it's an abnormal egg, what the specific problem is. So I think one of the questions that you would ask me is, is there, is there any specific abnormality that you can 100% can you, you can of the time link to a disease um, or to a uh, reproductive problem or a husbandry problem? And unfortunately, um, poultry, poultry doesn't really work that way. There's nothing, using a fancy word, that's pathognomonic. There's nothing that if I see a rough or bumpy egg that I know 100% that it's infectious bronchitis or mycoplasma, for example. But if we do, if we do see those abnormalities consistently, um, that's when we start wondering, and this is where you know collecting data is really important because you might say, hey, you know, a month ago, our eggs were completely fine, and now our eggs kind of have this leathery, bumpy feel to them. So, and most of our eggs, and more and more of our eggs are starting to feel that way. So that's where when people are able to have that level of information, I might say, you know what, that's something that, that's consistent with the infectious disease, for example, called infectious bronchitis, or in some cases, mycoplasma, and um, which is a bacteria, one's a virus, the first one's a virus, the second one's a bacteria, and that's where I'll start telling people, you know what, let's consider um, submitting one of those birds to a diagnostic lab to see if we're actually dealing with an infectious disease. Because if we, if we know that's the case, we want to know that before we bring more birds into our flock, for example, um, and, 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 uh, and, and, and spread a disease that way, which we don't want to do, obviously. Um, so when we think about kind of just now um, in, in a little more specifics, uh, we think about the different types of abnormalities that are that I'll commonly see or have people kind of reach out to me that are that they ask that, that people ask about. Um, one of the more common ones is um, extra uh, calcified shells. 
So just to kind of take a step back for a second, as hens get older, um, they use um, their eggs typically get larger, and they're putting the same amount of calcium into every single shell, every single egg that they produce. So just intuitively, we probably understand that as eggs get larger and birds get older, the amount of calcium that's in the egg itself is the same, but it's getting spread out over a wider surface area. So now those eggs have a little more tendency to crack or to have what's called a check where um, you can see these kind of like very small, almost like hairline cracks um, when you put the egg under um, a, a flashlight, for example. So when people talk about candling eggs, and you can go online, you can find all these cool candling devices, right. which you basically use to tell the quality of the egg, but also um, to tell if an if, uh, embryo is developing, for example. Um, you know, just a simple way of doing it, if you're just collecting a handful of eggs, just take a cell phone out and put your, um, your flashlight on that cell phone, and you can actually look at, you know, the air cell. Um, you can look at a developing embryo, for example, um, and, and so on and so forth. So when you... When you think about the calcium kind of issue, as, as birds get older, there's less calcium that's present per square um, inch, for example, of, of that shell itself. So what happens is as they get older, those eggs become a little thinner, um, and um, you're more likely to get these checks and these cracks, and that's uh, obviously something you want to be able to understand. Um, the other thing that you can start getting is you almost get these like little pimples on the outside of a shell. Um, so uh, I've had people kind of describe them almost like as pimples or like kind of these like pointy little dots. And those are just little calcifications. And to show you, you know, what that could be, it could be a lot of different things, unfortunately. It could be due to age, like we talked about. It's, it's when birds are very young or very old, that's typically when we see the reproductive problems. Um, when they're kind of in the middle of their lifespan. So most birds go into lay maybe around 18 weeks or so, um, and they go in the commercial industry, you know, they can go to about 90 weeks or somewhere in that range. Um, so once they're between 20 and 80-something weeks, they're very, you know, consistently producing eggs, um, different size eggs, but very consistent, uh, assuming there's no disease issues or what we call uniformity problems. Um, but once they get um, below... 18 weeks, you get a lot of smaller eggs, and you get a lot of reproductive um, kind of issues. And we'll talk about double yolkers, in, in, for example, in a minute. Um, and when they get a little older, those eggs get a little thinner. Um, but when you get those pimples, um, th that can be due to the breed of the birds. And this is where backyard birds, I think, have a real – backyard bird owners have a real challenge um, because a lot of the breeds that we know the most about – are you know these commercial breeds um and there's there's the backyard owners have so much more variety that we don't really understand a lot about what happens to some of these backyard birds as they get older as far as their productivity um, as far as egg quality so we're kind of this is where again collecting data is really important so you can kind of sort of understand in your in your environment in your backyard flock with the breed that you have, at the age you have, you know, what, what types of observation, observations have you noted? 
Um, so those are good things to kind of keep track of. Um, but it's also important to know those pimples can also be associated with uh, infectious bronchitis, which is this um, relatively common uh, respiratory virus. It doesn't cause a lot of mortality. It doesn't cause a lot of death, but does cause um, reductions in production. So people should be aware of that. Um, and then you can also get um, these kind of, uh, from again, from infectious bronchitis or mycoplasma. So one's a virus, infectious bronchitis, and mycoplasma is a bacteria. Uh, mycoplasma is very common, we think, in backyard poultry. Um, so that can also cause these kind of leathery, rigid shells. Um, and then the last thing, when you do see cracks in shells, um, whether they're checks or truly cracks, and the difference between a crack and a check is that a crack is literally leaking egg contents versus a check, which is just a almost like a stress fracture, um, so it precedes a crack. That can be due to a lot of different things, including stress. Um, so birds that are stressed are, are more likely to, to produce um, checks and cracked eggs. Um, but it can also be a production issue. So when you go into your nest box, for example, um, you know, if you don't have enough straw in or padding in your nest box, that's one way that eggs can be um, kind of challenged or stressed um, themselves and, and can lead to kind of bad things. Um, or you might you see a bunch of floor eggs, and the more floor eggs you see, the more potential those eggs can be, uh, the more potential for those eggs to be cracked, um, the more potential for those eggs to have fecal material on them, um, yep. the more potential for the birds to eventually peck open those eggs themselves. And when they peck open the eggs, uh, the, the issue is now, just like us, they typically like the yolks and the eggs themselves and start eating the contents of them. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I've got a couple more questions. In fact, I'll ask uh, a couple of questions now. Then I got to go to a commercial mm -hmm. break. When we come back, you can fit these in at, at any place you like. But um, I know you had, had had talked a little bit earlier about a question I had, but it really didn't answer. I guess this first que one of the questions was: <clears throat> Is there any egg abnormality that would automatically end up being a a um, a call. So, so we we have this issue. You're, you're gathering eggs. You see this egg abnormality, and you're like, okay, this is serious. This is. I'm probably gonna have to find out who's laying this bird, and then call that bird because this. So, is any egg abnormality result in a call automatic call of a bird? The second question was. <clears throat> Even if it's a small backyard flock with, let's just say, a dozen hens, and you just go out in the morning, and there are your eggs in the nest box, you gather, and then, and, and, you know, <laughs> let alone if you have a commercial laying house that may have thousands and thousands, regardless if it's a, a cage system or, I guess, <coughs> pardon me, an, an aviary type of system, whatever the case may be, and you start to see this, especially in that case, how in the world <laughs> do you end up trying to identify the, the the chicken that may have the hen that may have those problems, whether it's twelve a flock of twelve or a flock of you know uh, sixteen thousand. So those were two that uh, we can address when we uh, when we come back after the break, folks. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with uh, poultry veterinarian epidemiologist Dr. Maurice Pateski out of UC Davis. We're talking about ab egg abnormalities, and we'll be back right after this short break. Stay with us. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. 
Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All natural, non-toxic, premium grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. At Kambach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, Feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. 
All right. Thank you very much for staying with us today. We're talking about egg abnormalities with poultry veterinarian and epidemiologist, Dr. Maurice Poteski. So uh, we will continue uh, those two questions we left uh, right before the break about um, if you, if, is there a particular egg abnormality where that you're like, woo, we need to, we need to nip this in the bud now and find this in, or, you know, maybe this is an automatic call. Uh, and then two, <laughs> if, if, if an egg abnormality ends up being, hey, we need to find this hen or determine which one or ones are doing this or laying this particular uh, egg, how, how do you go about doing that, whether it be a 12 hen backyard or a you know, multi-thousand hen um, aviary or, or a cage system? Yeah, so uh, great question. So the, the first one, unfortunately, it, it's just not that simple. So the frustrating thing about uh, poultry in general and animals in general is that uh, one symptom, one symptom uh, doesn't always – you can't connect the dots to one particular cause. It just doesn't work right. that way, unfortunately. I wish it did or else it would make my job a lot easier. Um, that being said, um, there are you know things that are – clearly warning signs so obviously we're dealing with virulent newcastle disease uh, in southern california but if i was on a farm and my production in one day went from you know near 100 percent to uh 50 percent of that or even 90 percent i i i had a 90 percent loss in production i would be very very scary scared because uh the two most common Infectious causes of a drop in egg production that in that severe and rapid of a manner would be avian influenza and Newcastle disease. Um, so that's where you know it doesn't matter if you have one bird because these diseases are so highly infectious. Uh, if you had even had uh, one bird right. in your flock that was infected, um, the uh, way that it would spread is most likely very quickly to the rest of your flock. Um, and because it's such a serious disease, we're, we're, we're concerned about it spreading. So in those scenarios, you know, which are very, very rare, um, which is a great thing, um, we would have to consider uh, most likely the depopulation of the entire flock. Right. But there's a lot of other diseases that are kind of in this middle ground. Um, and it's not all diseases that cause this. So obviously, if your birds are not eating a balanced ration, if you're giving them too much chicken scratch, if they're eating... Um, <laughs> not you know the pellets or a layer a traditional layer feed that can cause a reduction in egg production uh, up to about a third of a, a, a third of their normal capacity um so you can you can kind of see problems with that but going back to disease diseases when you have uh, mycoplasma for example mycoplasma gallisepticum can cause a drop in egg production not very much but 15 to 20 percent and in that scenario mycoplasma is so common in backyard poultry would I ever tell someone that they need to euthanize their flock? Typically, no, because it's just such a common avian disease in backyard poultry, and it would be kind of a um, lots of birds can survive with that disease, and, and they can uh, recover and still be semi-productive. And for backyard birds, you know, that, that's the, the goal is not um, production per se. Um, and you don't, you don't I see mycoplasma in the commercial production birds, right? No, we we do see it, just not as commonly. I mean, it is there. I, I've seen birds that they'll, they'll get um, infections in their joints, um, and they'll get. And it's a respiratory. It's primarily respiratory, and 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 it can also be um, in their joints, uh, particularly like their knees and uh, stifles, for example. But it is it is considered basically ubiquitous in backyard poultry. Um, right. But it doesn't kill birds. 
Um, but it is something to kind of be aware of. I think, you know, going back to your to your other question about like in a commercial operation, what would you do? Well, in a commercial operation, when when you have a handful of birds that are sick, um, one thing that uh, a, a veterinarian can do, and, and people in their backyards can do this if they work with their with their veterinarians, um, is they can have uh, blood collected from uh, a handful of the birds that, that are suspect, and they can look for antibodies to these various diseases. So if your bird was never vaccinated against Mycoplasma galiceptacum and they have antibodies against Mycoplasma, that's a very strong indication that at some point at least they were exposed to it. And if they're showing clinical signs that are common with Mycoplasma galiceptacum, then then we can kind of connect the dots and have a a strong uh, feeling about what we're dealing with here, why we have that that drop in production. you know, nutrition and disease and husbandry, when, when things go wrong, those are the things that we start thinking about. And uh, working with a veterinarian is, is a great place to start. Unfortunately, when we're in a flock, um, let's say we're in a barn of 10,000 birds and we walk into that barn um, and we, oh, we collect blood from a handful of birds and we notice that there are antibodies to um, infectious bronchitis or, or mycoplasma galiceptacum. The decisions that we make are at the flock level, not at the individual bird level, because all those birds, we have to assume, are connected to each other because it's their, their diseases, just like before we're in a classroom um, with a bunch of kids, diseases have a tendency to kind of spread very, very rapidly. So just like in the same thing in people's backyard flocks or in a large commercial barn, um, we have to assume that if we find one bird with a disease, that basically all of those birds are being exposed. And with the good thing with some of these diseases, we can vaccinate in the face of an outbreak. Um, in some diseases, we can treat the birds with antibiotics. Um, in some diseases, if we're dealing with nutritional diseases, we can change their feed uh, uh, in order to address some of the questions they have there. Um, and then there's other diseases we, we can't do that in, or it's not really um, desirable um, to face the risks of if the disease spreads further. Um, so a lot of it depends on what disease we're dealing with, but I would say when you're dealing with the really rare zebras, uh, even influenza and Newcastle disease, you'll, you'll, you'll know it. You would have a severe drop in egg production, for example. But there are some more subtle ones, uh, infectious bronchitis, infectious, infectious laryngotracheitis. We don't have egg drop syndrome in the United States, but that's another big one where you get these uh, kind of pale, weak shells that are shellless eggs. So when you see shellless eggs, um, there's no shell on there, obviously, um, and that can be because of reproductive issues, birds getting older, um, but it can also be due to uh, disease, this uh, most commonly egg drop syndrome in the rest of the world, not so much in North America. Um, so hopefully that answers kind of both of those questions for you. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. So the, the other big abnormality I wanted to mention is these double yokers. Um, which uh, I was just on a farm a couple of days ago, and my kids love the double yolked eggs because um, they're just kind of they're huge eggs first of all, um, and second of all they've got two yolks in them, so it's kind of just kind of a cool thing. Um, for the most part, that's undesirable. Um, you can't sell them because they they've got two yolks associated with them. 
Um, so um, I think um, they're not, you know, it's not ideal for a producer to have them. Um, and the eggs, like I said before, are candled before they're sold, so they should be able to basically um, sort those away from them. But they're kind of fun. I think a lot of chefs like them. Um, it happens very commonly when birds are young. Um, again, you know, kind of young and very old birds are where we kind of start seeing these abnormalities. Um, and then um, the only other time you'll see them is if you're light intensity, or not the only other time, but the, the, the time I've seen it uh, working with some producers is when the light intensity, uh, so birds need about you know, 14 to 16 hours, a little more on the 16-hour side of light. Um, but if the light intensity is too high, um, that can kind of overstimulate their ovaries, and you can get more double yokers. Um, so that's one thing to also be aware of. Um, I think people are, are, are kind of looking into how to, you know, selectively breed for double yokers and things like that, but I, I, I don't know how successful that's been at this point. Um, but um, it's basically just two uh, ovum um, that are released from um, – um, that are that are released from the ovary and they travel down that tube or that oviduct together in the shell gland and albumin are put around them. Okay. Um, so the last question that I think that you um, mentioned someone had was on what's called a lash egg. Um, and uh, a lash egg is not really an egg, unfortunately. It's just kind of like a big ball of pus. Um, um, and we kind of get this kind of caseous, um, kind of thick material um, that's usually reflective of an infection. Um, so the most common, you know, if you kind of Google lash egg, you'll see kind of what sort of looks like an egg, so that's why they call it a lash egg. Um, but it's typically associated with a, um, inflammation of the reproductive tract, which is what we call salpingitis is the fancy word. Lash eggs are typically associated, they're infectious, and they're typically associated with E. coli, the bacteria, and mycoplasma, which is also a bacteria. Um, so when you do see those type of things, um, that's a pretty raging E. coli slash mycoplasma infection, um, and that's something to kind of, um, you know, I wouldn't say that's completely pathognomonic, and, and, and basically saying that that's, if I see a lash egg, do I know it's E. coli? Do I know it's mycoplasma? Not yet, but um, if, let's say I saw a lash egg, and um, my, my egg production was down, and I had some respiratory signs on my chickens, like they're coughing and wheezing a little, then I'd start thinking, oh, my birds probably have a mycoplasma um, infection right now. And unfortunately, there are no, uh, in the U.S., no effective antibiotics against mycoplasma that we can use without a withdrawal period. So are there antibiotics we can use in, in poultry? Um, that are effective, yes, but the most important question that we have to answer is, um, are those antibiotics, do we see the residues, do we identify the residues in the eggs themselves? And, and if we do, um, for the most part, those eggs are, are not to be consumed. So we need to be very cautious about not only choosing antibiotics that work, but choosing antibiotics that work and um, don't have residues in the in the eggs themselves so in the layer commercial industry for all kinds of reasons antibiotics are very very rarely used at this point um and in part because the public now just won't doesn't tolerate that um but the other reason that that antibiotics historically have not been used very much in the layer industry is because um the rules are so strict and they've gotten stricter about um the the uh, types of residues and the amounts of those residues that you can find in eggs. So um, even when you buy conventional eggs now, 
Um, it very rarely do any of those birds have, uh, have ever been given antibiotics, if at all. I know you needed to wrap it up here in about three minutes, so I didn't know if there was anything on your outline that you may wanted to cover, something that's you know common that you know um, people would might you know benefit from, or um, anything like that. We got about three minutes left before uh, you needed to break away. No, the only thing I'd really mention to folks is is keep track of of your eggs. So keep track of the amount of eggs that you have, weigh your eggs, see how many grams they are. Um, figure out, use a um, some kind of system to say uh, if how many cracks they have, how many checks you have. Um, you know, when you're curious, um, it's great to put a flashlight um, on top of your egg, and you can just start seeing what your normal eggs look like, and you can kind of see these check marks in them and um, the the pores where air comes in. So when a when an egg is laid, for example. Um, what happens is obviously the, the bird's temperature is, um, you know, 105 degrees Fahrenheit or so. So that egg is going to be 105 degrees. And when it gets laid, it drops in temperature. And when it drops in temperature, the contents of the egg um, sucks in like we're cold. So everything contracts. And that's what draws the air in. That's the air cell. So you can start doing all kinds of interesting kind of experiments to see how big those air cells are. Um, you know, older eggs have larger air cells, and that typically means those 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 eggs have been um, they've been on the shelf for a longer period of time, which in some cases is actually desirable. So those of you that hard-boiled eggs know that older eggs are always much easier to peel for the most part than younger eggs. Um, so what I would suggest is that people just start keeping and collecting lots of data so they can kind of understand what works in their um, system. And when they, especially for the disease control um, and nutrition, it's so important to understand uh, sooner than later if there's a problem. If, if we identify a problem sooner, then we, can, we have potential to, uh, to mitigate it. The, the longer we wait, the, the harder it gets to, to treat um, all diseases, in birds and humans, obviously. Awesome. Yeah, I got it. No, thank you very much. It's it's. I had a lot of folks that had reached out and said, "Oh, this is going to be a great topic." It's going, you know, because I I see, you know, I've had kept chickens for a long time, or maybe I'm a new chicken keeper, and uh, I see these things. I see the little uh, pinpoint specks of calcium deposits on the outer shell sometimes, or I see some color uh, differentiation on on the shell sometimes. Sometimes it's lighter. Half the egg will be what what it normally is, and the other half might be a little bit lighter. And and um, so they want to know about the the. the different color uh, issues or maybe just a, a misshapen egg that they may see um, and uh, um, all those different things. So it was a, a great show. And uh, I really thank you uh, for coming on today. You, I know you'll be back next month, the second Thursday of every single month. Dr. Pateski joins us here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer and shares uh, a different topic, whether it be about a disease or, or anything about uh, raising healthy flocks. So, Dr. Pateski, thank you very much for joining us today. We do appreciate it, and uh, we will look forward to seeing you next month. Okay. Sounds good. Great. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Great. You bet. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, we'll go to commercial break. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this short break. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. 
I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. All right, I also want to share with you this bit of good news. I, I shared it on my Facebook Live earlier today since we're doing commercials. <coughs> pardon me right now. Um, those of you who have been um, really good uh, about uh, ordering and reordering the Chick Fresh Order Control Spray, uh, both for brooders and coops, we use it here on the farm, and we everybody who we've uh, shared that um, with have also had them. So don't just take my word for it. Go look at the reviews on Amazon. Go look at when we broadcast live and we all these true 
uh, Chick Fresh users are saying, this works fabulous. I use it in my uh, uh, kitty litter box. I use it in my kitchen garbage can before I put the liner in. I use it. This stuff is awesome. Uh, and if you're brooding chicks right now and, and, and you're not liking the smell of the dust, then you need to head on over to Amazon right now and try you some Chick Fresh odor control spray. But let me tell you, right now uh, they have it over there. Um, and uh, one bottle is twelve ninety eight. I got an email from them or a text from them yesterday that said they saw a pattern. Most people are ordering two bottles when they order uh, at twelve ninety eight. So let's just say that's thirteen bucks a bottle. Two bottles is twenty six dollars, and it is Prime, so you can get it in the two days if you're a Prime membership. What they've done, guys, uh, save you some money. You're already using Chick Fresh. You're already buying two bottles at a time, and, and we have proof of that because we're looking at our orders. Um, they on Amazon now have a two pack, and so Chick Fresh odor control spray two pack, and it's only twenty two fifty. So that's only eleven dollars and twenty five cents, if I'm doing my math right, uh, eleven twenty five instead of $13. So by ordering the two bottles, which the orders already show, people are ordering two bottles at a time, uh, now you can save even more money. So they've got a special option on Amazon now for Chick Fresh, two bottles. It's a two-pack for $22.50. So I want to let you guys know that because if you go back and order from your history, you're just to order two bottles at the twelve ninety eight. But there is now a feature to get two bottles for $22.50, which is going to save you some change, cha-ching, cha-ching. So uh, I wanted to share that with you um, with the uh, the Chick Fresh for those of you who already bought it. If you haven't already bought it, if you want to try one bottle, knock yourself out, twelve ninety eight. But you're going to want to buy another bottle. I, uh, I know you're going to. So um, just from all the reviews we've got from people who have used it. So I do want to appreciate you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. We thank you for tuning in. We hope you're enjoying uh, our topics that we have for you on this show. We come to you every single week, uh, Thursday, normally <coughs> pardon me, normally at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. You know these shows are archived um, after we do the live broadcast, and then you can listen 24 hours a day, seven days a week at your convenience. So at that point, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let you guys go. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you next week, Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, right here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, broadcast through Blog Talk Radio. Till then, I'm the Chicken Whisperer. We'll see you next time.